0: And I am fascinated, intrigued. And honored. You may by have done what they said you did, me, but you they are, are magnificent. magnificent. They, they marvelous. Are. You, you need resilient. to know that you're Whole okay just you how the plan succeeded in you as a child. What you've been through matters. This podcast is designed for you. It's Love on a mission in a world where no experience is really lacking. My name is Ginger Wilk, and we're here to talk about that which matters. Welcome to That Which Matters. We're going to talk today a little bit about shame. Shame. What is shame? Well, I will tell you this. It's something that's negative. It's there's never anything good that comes out of shame. There's never anything good that happens to us on the inside when we experience shame. And so it's important that we understand what it is, how it comes into our lives, and also how we can contend with it so that we can walk in our lives with confidence and with boldness and in really understanding the beauty of who we are. So shame can impact all sorts of experiences and relationships. It's often like an additive to other issues or events that compounds the problem with a negative view about ourselves. An example that I'm going to give you is that my husband absolutely loves salt. It's not good. We've talked to him about the fact that salt isn't good for your health. But he loves it and he puts it on everything. He puts it on his salad, he puts it on his popcorn, he puts it on his meat. The most incredible things that you would never think needed salt, he's able to put it on and he loves it. And there's often times when, you know, we'll go to a movie and I'll sit there and lean over and take a big handful of amazing, wonderfully flavorful popcorn, put it in my mouth, and it tastes horrific. I'll spit it out or ignore the rest of the bag because I absolutely cannot stand that type of salt and that level being all over the popcorn, it literally ruins the flavor. And it's an experience that I've had over and over and over again. No matter what I try to do or how I try to pretend, if I can take that salt, I realize that I I can't stand the flavor. And shame is a lot like that. We can have so many different experiences in our lives, both good and bad. But when shame is attached to it, it's going to be like that amount of salt that just ruins the flavor of anything that is good around us. And so it's really, really important that we understand how shame will drench experiences. Shame is like this. It will dominate an experience that might be positive or benign or negative, And it makes it enormous and seemingly unrecoverable. That's what shame is like. It can be a positive experience. It can be a benign experience. It can be a negative experience. But where shame enters, all of a sudden it becomes almost unrecoverable, at least in our own perspective. So what is shame? Shame is a powerful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. Also, it's a person, in action, or a situation that brings a loss of respect or honor. What guilt says is I did something wrong and I feel bad about it. What shame says is there's something wrong with me. Big difference. Shame and guilt are not the same thing. Guilt is actually a good thing. If we do something wrong or we do something that we perceive to be a sin, and we have remorse about it, we feel guilty about it, it will cause us to go to a place of repentance or to be able to address whatever it was. It ends up having a positive result. But whenever we think that there's something wrong with us, that's an inside thing. That's something that will cause depression. That's something that will cause a self-hatred to occur. And it's not a productive place to be in because there's nothing that you can really do to counteract that shame, except to identify it before it happens and to try to deal with it. So it's important that we understand that shame does not have any good purpose, whether we shame somebody else or whether we feel it ourselves. And I know sometimes in parenting there's been phrases that have been spoken like, you know, shame on you for this, shame on you for that. I've learned to never use those terms, to try to avoid those terms in all circumstances because shaming somebody in any possible way, it's not going to give us the result that we would hope. So where did shame come in? Well, it came in at the very beginning with Adam and Eve. And basically, Adam and Eve were in this unbelievable garden that was created by God with every animal that you could imagine and every fruit and every vegetable and whatever they wanted, whatever their hearts Desired they had not only that, but they had God right there at their fingertips. They could just talk to Him like, "I could talk to you right now and hear him." The conversations didn 't have to be uh, defined in certain times of the day or the year or after fasting and praying or going to church or whatever or going to temple it wasn 't like that; it was a conversation that they could have all the time with God. And in Genesis 2 and 25, it says that they were naked and they felt no shame. What that meant was that they were able to be everything that they were, all of what they were, and not feel bad about it. They didn't have to hide that pimple. They didn't have to hide that uh, scar that they have on their knee. They didn't have to hide the fat around their bellies. They didn't have to hide the fact that they didn't have any money. They didn't have to hide the fact that their house smelled or whatever it is that we feel shame about at times, they were exactly what they were and they felt no shame and they were naked. They, they had no clothes on, but literally their nakedness went from the very, very depths of their soul all the way out. Imagine a world that you or I can be a part of where all of our struggles and all of the things that we go through, we would actually feel no shame at all. And so obviously we know the story about them taking the fruit and their eyes being opened through the evil that entered their lives and it changed things forever. They realized that they were naked and they actually sewed fig leaves together to make a covering. So finally, after all these years of this beautiful interaction with God and with one another, they had now a covering and they went and they hid. And that's what shame does. It makes us hide it makes us literally hide. So that if someone's gonna come over and visit us, we're gonna hide the things in the bottom of the closet that we don't want them to see. And it could be anything from really bad things to just the mess that we left behind, or hide from going to that party, or going to that person's house, or to hide you know, whatever it is that, that we have in our lives, what's in our car, what's what's in our finances or our bank book. So that we can just appear to be a certain way to someone else. Those fig leaves have a wide definition in what we deal with today. And God called out to them and basically said, where are you? Now, what kind of a question is that God knew where they were? They were where they always were. Basically, he knew where they were. He, he didn't have to ask that question for his own good. He asked them that question for their purpose, which is, why are you hiding And why did you become something that you're not? And basically they explained, well, you know, we're naked and so forth. And he said, who told you you were naked? What God is really saying in this situation is, who was the one who told you that there's something wrong with you? Because it's not me. I didn't tell you that there's something wrong with you. And right now, for those of you that are listening, let that be God's voice to you who told you that there's something wrong with you? Because I am not speaking that to you. I didn't say there's anything wrong with you. Maybe your neighbor did or your friend did or your parent did, or you heard it on the internet or social media or you're perceiving it. But the way I see you is that there isn't anything wrong with you. You don't have to be hiding and you don't have to take that part of your life and push it away from me. But he said, who told you you were naked? And... God ended up opening up a conversation with them in in really allowing them to see the fact that their relationship with him forever changed. And relationships between humans forever change from that point forward where we're in a state where we're vulnerable to feel shame. And that's not what God wants. And in Job 10 and 15, this is Job, by the way, most of you have heard references to Job, whether you've been in churches or you haven't or temples or whatever, You'll know about Job because it's always referenced with somebody who suffered deeply, who was very sick, who lost his whole family, who lost all of his finances, and his life was just a mess in every possible way. And all of his friends tried to tell him that it was because he did this wrong and he did that wrong. You know all the helpful friends that we can have from time to time that love to point the finger somewhere. And when Job cried out, he said, If I am guilty, woe to me, even if I am innocent. I cannot lift my head for I am full of shame and drowned in my affliction. So basically what he's saying is if I'm guilty, if I did something wrong, okay, well then, you know what? Woe to me. Like if I did something wrong, then I'm going to have to deal with that. But even if I'm innocent, I cannot lift my head. That's what shame is. If it's just guilt, I took the cookie out of the cookie jar and I feel bad about it, then I can make up for it, right? I can bake another cookie. I can say I'm sorry, right? But even if I'm innocent and I can't lift up my head because I'm full of shame, that's not the same thing. That's where Job ended up reaching to that place of drowning in his affliction because he was full of shame because he processed his sufferings in a way where he said, there's something wrong with me. And I want to tell some of you right now, for those of you that are going through things in your lives, please don't pin this on yourself in thinking that there's something wrong with you and that's why you're going through this. Maybe there's things that can be changed, that could be done better or consequences of some of the decisions that were made. We all go through that. But what you're going through is not because of who you are because that's not flawed in God's eyes. Shame covers us with this sense of affliction and a sense of drowning. It causes us to go from a swim to a drown in the circumstances that we live. And in Psalm 25 and 3, it says, no one who hopes in you, God, will ever be put to shame. So if we really truly understand who God is and we truly put our hope in God, we'll never be put to shame. Why? Because God is the God who created us exactly the way that we are. And so trying to put hope in the one that created us is the right direction to go in because we won't be put to shame because that's not what God is going to do to us. So some of the quotes about shame, it says, guilt is just as powerful, but its influence is positive, while shame is destructive. Shame erodes our courage and fuels disengagement. That's by Brown Brown. That's a powerful example of a definition of shame. Here's some examples where we might be experiencing some level of shame. For instance, losing a job. OK Now nobody wants to lose a job. Nobody wants to get fired. Nobody wants to have to go through that situation, right? And when you lose a job, you would think that it's a financial hit around someone's livelihood, right? Someone tells you, I'm sorry, you know, you, you can no longer work here for whatever reason it is. And the first thing that we should be thinking about is the loss of livelihood, the loss of finances and income. That would be the logical thing. That's understandable to have those feelings. But there's a rejection that goes along with that. And then there's the walking out of the building with one's belongings. It's dealing with that part that brings shame into the mix, if we will allow it. Because then it goes from I lost my job and I lost my income to there's something wrong with me. Do you see how it's such a big stretch? And it leads us into a place where we can't do anything about it. I remember an example of my brother who is a retired police officer. And he talked about the fact that there was one time when he was patrolling a specific area. And there was one car that was swerving a little bit. And so it's the middle of the day. And so he pulled the car over and he walked over to the car and this man, young man, maybe in his early thirties, dressed to the T in a suit from head to toe looked perfect. And he rolled down the window and my brother just basically, you know, talked to him and just said, you know, you okay. And he could tell that he was you know, somewhat intoxicated, and um, he asked him, you know, what was going on, and he decided at that moment to just not go by procedure only, and he talked to him, and it turns out that this guy had lost his job about nine months ago, and he was so filled with shame that he didn't tell his wife, he didn't tell his young kids, and every single day for nine months, he was getting up at whatever, seven o'clock in the morning, taking a shower, getting dressed in his suit and tie, getting in his car and driving the neighborhood, finding places to just park, just to mark time for the entire day until he could go back home again and save this pride or to show that he wasn't this, quote, shameful individual that he thought he was. And in the midst of it all, he started to drink and it became problematic. And so my brother had such compassion. He felt like crying. The guy started weeping. He felt like crying along with the guy. He ended up just figuring out a way to have another cop come and drive the car, you know, to, to the house, bring the guy home so he wasn't driving drunk. But it really gripped my brother because he had such great compassion for this guy that talk about drowning in shame that day after day after day, week after week after week, month after month that this man was dealing with this level of oppression because he was ashamed and because he felt like there was something wrong with him when really he was going through financial difficulties and there was an answer in there, and hopefully he got it. The other ways that we can be full of shame is with public correction. Uh, Whenever we are spoken to in a certain way or we have an authority figure that deals with us in a public manner, and whenever you bring something public, it definitely has the potential to become that more elevated in the reaction of the person. For instance, uh, in working with youth over the years, there's one thing that I've learned about working with youth, and I've learned it through trial and error, is that the last thing in the world you should ever do is reprimand them or correct them in front of their peers. You can pretty much say anything to a young person as long as you pull them aside and you're respectful, of course, you pull them aside and you bring them away from their friends and you address something, usually you'll be able to get a good reaction out of them. But if you say anything in front of a crowd of other friends, they are going to strongly react to that because that's their group. They care more about the way that they act in front of their friends or the way they're seen in front of their friends than the way that they're seen in front of their family members or any other group's around them. And so it's super important that we understand that because shame can definitely come into the mix when it doesn't have to. Uh, I remember working with a girl when I worked in the foster care system who had dealt with physical abuse from her father for years, and it was very serious. Pretty tremendous things that happened, taking drawers out of a bureau and and, and hitting her and, and nearly breaking an arm and tremendous things that happened and we were working with her in a variety of ways to try to help her to heal from all of this. But in talking to her one day uh, in a session, I asked her which incident was the one that impacted her the most. And what she stated was that it was the time that she was outside with her friends and her father came out and greeted her and smacked her across the face in front of all of her friends. That was the thing that impacted her more. It wasn't the thing that caused the physical harm the most. It wasn't the thing that certainly led towards her father's arrest, but it was the thing that impacted her because it was not only the reality of what was happening and the way her father was dealing with her, but it was the public humiliation and the shame that went along with it. So shame sticks around for a long time for those that have suffered trauma. So, when they've been through situations where they've been traumatized, shame is a big issue that you have to deal with when you're counseling them. But then to have something be said publicly or done publicly is only just causing that trauma to be exacerbated all over again. And I remember growing up as a child, uh, there were many, many things that we had that were really, really beautiful in our in our household. We had a lot of love. We had a big family. Um, But the one thing was that we we just didn't have a lot of wealth. We were middle class, but more working middle class, I would say. And I went to school with a lot of very very wealthy kids who would brag about all of the things that they had and all the things that they did. And and I remember feeling really bad about it, and and I, I wanted to belong. And so I remember one day I went in and I told a couple of my, quote, acquaintances, I wouldn't even call them friends, that, um, oh, by the way, we own a ski resort in Vermont. And I don't even know where I came up with that. I don't, and I even had a name for it, Snowtop And I found out later that I think there really was a real resort, because somebody said, oh, I've heard of that, or I've been there, or whatever. and So that lie began, and then I had to try to backpedal my way out of that one. Somehow, I think that kind of fell by the wayside. But then later on, I decided to create a boyfriend that I didn't have. So in sixth grade, it was now a big deal for everybody to have, quote, boyfriends. I don't really know that it was much, but it was, it was just someone kind of like having possession of somebody else. And I didn't have a boyfriend, and so I decided that I was going to make one up. So I made up a name. I it said that he was from Norwalk. I uh, came up with a whole scenario about how we met and um, a date that we would go on over the weekend. And I, I would just brag about this, and every week I'd come up with a different thing out of my shame. And um, I remember finally, one day, my my friend said to me, oh, we're having a party on Saturday night, why don't you bring your boyfriend? So now I realized that I had to break up with this fictional character, And um, so I came in with this whole story that he was cheating on me. You know, he was what, 11 and he was cheating on me. And I got so mad that I poured a soda over his head at McDonald's and just this ridiculous story. The very, very funny thing about it is that the name that I came up with was almost exactly the name of my husband. It was one one letter off from his actual name. So I thought that that was really interesting, that in the midst of my horrific lies, that God allowed me to make up this name of somebody that actually would be my husband later on. But that's what shame will do. It will make you create ski resorts or boyfriends. That fear of shame will cause us to hide or to lie and will cause us to try to create something in who we are that we're really not, just so that we can present ourselves in a certain way. And so I really want to talk a little bit about some of the things that you may be experiencing in your life with shame, some of the things that you're hiding from, some of the things that you're trying to present in a way that isn't really you. And I want to encourage you to to come out from where you are, to come out of hiding, to present yourself as you are. And I know that not everybody is gonna accept us the way that we are. I know not everybody greets us with um, this beautiful, you know, presentation of love and acceptance, but it's better to be who we are, it's better to be what we are, and to feel good about that than to have some fictional reality that's presented. And I just wanna let you know that uh, there was an example of a time that I was going to a very important meeting at work And it was relating to the criminal justice system. And I was invited to be a part of a committee. And I was very excited about it because it was a selected bunch of members that were asked to be on this committee. And so I arrived at this building and I was all dressed up and I was so excited about it. And so I got out of my car and I started walking towards the building and I tripped over a rock and I fell face first. And it was in the parking lot in front of tons of windows. Now, there was nobody in the parking lot, which was good. But if you looked up, it was about maybe 20 stories of office buildings, all with windows that were facing the parking lot. So I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that many people were watching me just wipe out. Um, So I fell on my knees and my hands to kind of break the fall. I got up immediately. I have to say I was pretty good with just jumping right up. And I went inside. I didn't say a word. I signed in, did everything I needed to do. And I went to the bathroom and I realized that my knees were bleeding. So what I did was I just, I wiped them off and I patted my knees with paper towels and I did everything. And I I ended up just going into this meeting and I was a little shaken up too, but I went into this meeting and I sat there and Under the conference table, my knees were bleeding the entire time that I was in this meeting, hoping to God that it was going to be less than an hour, because I didn't know how much those paper towels were going to absorb. And when I think about that, I think about how many times when we feel that we're not qualified to sit at a table, whatever that table is, it could be anything in our lives, whether it's the table of your new girlfriend's family member's home, or whether it's a corporate event that you're going to or whether it's something related to your church or whatever table we think that we're not qualified to sit at, that we can sit there and really it's like our knees are bleeding right underneath that table because there's that part of us that thinks, see I told you so, you really didn't belong here anyway and you're the one, you're the one underneath that table that has those, knees bleeding out, showing everybody, if they just stand up and are able to see it, that you were never meant to be there, and we don't want to be exposed. We don't want anybody to see what's really there. But that's the experience of what it's like when we feel shame in our lives, and we have to understand that at the end of the day, we can have a sense of belonging. We can learn to have a sense of belonging, and we can also be in a place where We have to raise our level of self-esteem. We have to not allow ourselves to get drowned in the sea of shame that comes along with it. Shame tries to contaminate our recovery. It is the thief of intimacy. When we have shame in our lives, we hide. And when we hide, it means that we can't have emotional intimacy with people. We can't be real with people. How can we possibly be real with one another if we are overcome with shame. If we're hiding things in our lives, that means that it's not real. We're just presenting that side of us that we want everybody to see. And we're never going to get anywhere in our ability to really talk about that which matters with one another if we're not real. If we're going to talk about that which matters, we need to really talk about the things that are honest about ourselves. So it can be a thief of intimacy and... One of the uh, important quotes that I wrote out here, well, actually, there's, there's a book called The Thief of Intimacy by Marie Powers, and it talks about the fact that the destroyer of shame is transparency. So what's important is to come out of hiding and allow light to shine on those areas of our lives. Out there today, there are those who have been unemployed, abused, addicted, arrested, rejected, poor, sick, grief-stricken, or whatever you have been. What's happened to you has been horrible. But there's nothing wrong with having been through adversity. And that's what I want to impart to you. I want you to know that there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. There is nothing wrong with you. You may have experienced things that are wrong. You may have experienced things that are difficult. You may have experienced tremendous trauma in your life. You you may have made a lot of mistakes. You may have a whole list of things that you have done wrong. Other people might have a list of things that you have done wrong, but it doesn't mean that there's anything flawed about you. I want you to know that you can come out. I call forth those in Connecticut, in the state by which I'm recording this, and those throughout the country and those throughout the world, to come out of hiding and to be real. Share your stories. Share the things that you've been through. Talk about the fact that your knees were bleeding. Talk about the fact that you lied about a boyfriend in sixth grade. Talk about the fact that You literally hid behind a bush like I did actually when I was in elementary school as well during recess. Why did I hide behind a bush? Because I wasn't athletic. Because I didn't feel like I belonged. That's what Adam and Eve did. That's what we do when we feel like there's something wrong with us. We hide. And you're marvelous. You're magnificent. You're miraculous. You're beautiful in every possible way. And there is a God who knows that and doesn't want you to hide because he sees everything about you. He can shine the spotlight right through you and love every piece of who you are, every single one. It's us that put the limitations on love. It's one another that dictate what's going to be acceptable and what isn't. It doesn't matter what's on social media. It doesn't matter what people look like they have. I will tell you this. I sit and meet with people on a day-to-day basis and what they put out on social media, what they put out in public is not what's really happening. You have to look behind the pictures and the videos and you have to understand that there are a lot more people that understand the things that you're going through than you could ever imagine. And I just want to encourage you and let you know that you can come out and be who you are and be loved as you are and not to be drowned in shame but to allow yourself to come forth as you are because you matter. In collaboration with IML Productions, this has been your host, Ginger Wilk, with That Which Matters. Thank you for listening.